There we go. Uh, We'll be in Galatians chapter 2 and 3, starting in verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the lost, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing of faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Please pray with me. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day and we are your people. Uh, Jesus, help us to know this, this, this deep and abiding and real truth that we are part of your family, we are part of what you are doing in the world, we are part of the history you're weaving in the world, and we are forgiven and loved by you for your glory, not because of anything that we have done, but everything that you, Jesus, have done by coming and dying in our place to give us life. Help us to know that you didn't just come to pay the price for our sins, which you did, but you came to give us life, and life in abundance enliven us to this reality today as we dig into Galatians and help us to live uh, not thinking that we can earn your love, but living in the wake of it. Jesus, we love you and we pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name. Jesus Christ, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Uh, This is your first time with us. My name is Andrew. I'm the preaching pastor for Anchor Church. Um, I mentioned this last week, but but some of you are out. Uh, You know, uh, as many of you know, my son, my 21-month-old son has been diagnosed with AML leukemia, and the church has been so gracious to give me some time out of the pulpit and, and just to serve my family in prayer and taking care of our needs, and, and for that, I, I want to thank you. Uh, it's New Year's, and so I kind of wanted to plot out a little bit of where we're going uh, in this forthcoming year. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at some texts that honestly have just been near and dear to me in one way, shape, or form or the other in the last uh, few weeks, uh, and things that I've been just kind of uh, brewing over, and this is, this is one of those texts. Uh, in addition to that, uh, in the coming weeks, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to take apart, um, usually we preach right through a whole book of the Bible. We, we do line-by-line preaching here. We think the best thing to do is to open God's Word and to hear the point of the text from the, of the sermon from the text, uh, that the point of the sermon is the point of the text, and that's what we're after. Um, and so uh, something I've become really convinced of reading Philippians uh, in the midst of this family trial 
reading Philippians over and over and over again, that it's important that you don't just know the, the verse to go to in the mix of joy or tragedy or trial or whatever it might be, but, but you know the book to go to and that we as the church would own, uh, you would own your Bible, that you would understand uh, the theology and the truth of the New Testament in particular uh, really, really deeply. And that you wouldn't just have abstractions in your mind, that, that Matthew wouldn't just be some book by some guy that starts with a genealogy and you know that's where the thing that goes on your Christmas card goes, but that you'd know that, that Matthew's telling us, the church, about the kingdom of heaven and why that actually matters for your life as a Christian. And so what we're going to do is we're going to do two things. One, from the pulpit, we're going to go, line, we're going to go book by book uh, and we're going to take the most important sort of thesis statement, if you will, out of each of those books and preach on it and talk about what is Matthew after? What does Matthew want you to know when you're done reading it? And why is that important for you as a Christian? And we're going to march our way through the different books of the Bible. We, this is the closest thing, by the way, I've ever come to a topical sermon series. Um, that, that's as close as I get, saying, well, let's go for a whole book at a time. Um, that's as close to topical as we get. Uh, and at the same time, oh, and we're figuring out the logistics uh, so my son with the cancer has no immune system, which means I can't be at coffee shops and stuff. Usually we do uh, classes at coffee shops. So we're trying to figure out what it looks like to do a New Testament theology class. We're, we're batting some stuff around, whether we try Skype out or whatever, uh, which is weird and almost feels just even silly to say, to be, if, I can, if we can just be honest here. Um, but it is where we're at. Um, you know, my wife ends up at the hospital with my son uh, for like weeks at a time, which means I'm like, I'm like hanging out with the kid, doing the stuff with the kids during the day and like getting up early and staying up late and whatever that looks like. God's been gracious in all of it, but, but trying to figure out what it looks like. How do we keep going as a, as a church? How do we keep doing stuff like theology classes in the middle of that? Uh, how do I keep going, I guess, even a little bit? Um, so it, it's not ideal, but we're, we're trying to figure it out. So if you're interested in take, doing a New Testament theology class, uh, please let me know. And if enough people want to do that, we will figure that out. Um, Anyways, it's New Year's, right? So New Year's is the sermon series. This is the sermon where I'm supposed to, this is the first sermon of the year, I'm supposed to give you some homework. Uh, you're supposed to make a resolution, uh, make uh, that commitment to start reading Genesis again. I would just really encourage you, as a total aside from my intro after my other aside, when you pick up Genesis and you read the first chapters and you're going to work on reading that Bible you know, reading your Bible year plan, and you have the plan you've set out, and you're going to read your Bible in a year, and you, you like, get to like the third chapter of Genesis and, you know, it's like the third day of the year. And you're like, well, I guess I missed it. I guess I'll wait till January 2017. I always really encourage you to start reading your Bible again. Uh, if you miss a day, just, just keep going. Uh, it's a good thing to read your Bible. And if, if doing a year plan is the thing, do it. Because uh, I know many of us start in Genesis and get through maybe Genesis. Uh, anyways, uh, my hope instead of just saying, here's our New Year's resolution, as we look at Galatians, I, I think Galatians has in here um, some deep abiding truths that are supposed to arouse our faith, uh, to, to enliven our faith uh, in Jesus. Uh, and, I, and I think if we look at them and we take them seriously, uh, it helps us understand, not just understand, because if we really understand this is what we'll do, not just understand, but embody and live out some of the things that we say all the time, Right? That our faith in Christ isn't just something for Sunday morning, but that when we dig into this section and we dig into this text, that we didn't, don't just say in a sermon that God is working in history, but that you understand yourself as someone who is part of what God is doing in the middle of history to redeem all things. If you are a Christian, you are part of what God is doing in the universe, that you've been saved with a purpose for His glory, and that you've been tasked with a task, and He's working through you as He's doing mighty things in history. 
By the way, if you are alive and alive into that reality, that there are gospel things he's doing here in this church era, if you will, in the time between he went up and the time that he's coming back, all of a sudden, if you understand yourself as a pivotal point in history by God's grace and mercy, all of a sudden work isn't so mundane. The PTA meeting's not so mundane. The trip to the park is not so mundane. Eating a donut is not so mundane. Uh, but that you are enlivened to the reality that God is working in history and you're part of what he's doing as he's working uh, in history. Uh, uh, that as we look to this text, that, that, that you know, even if we're kind of coming off of Christmas, uh, and, and I love Christmas so much, and I got to preach a Christmas sermon uh, last week, but they were enlivened to the reality that Jesus has come. And then the reality that Jesus has come uh, in the flesh to pay the price for your sin and to give you life, to live the life you should have, to die in your place, and that you are made new through that means something to eating donuts, means something to the PTA meeting, means something uh, at the park, it means something in the uh, Friday morning commute when everyone's trying to get to work early and get off early and whatever it might be. That, that, that when this, this reality uh, is enlivened in you, it changes every breath of every day, every moment of everything that you live and, and should hopefully lie us up for a passion for Jesus and for a passionate life lived knowing and worshiping him with everything we do. I want us to be people that when we read our Bibles, we are enlivened for Jesus. We are lit up for the gospel. We live with joy and passion for God who has created us with a purpose. And that purpose, by the way, doesn't terminate on me. It terminates on him and his glory. So three things I want us to see in Galatians. Uh, and I We'll see how far we get here. Number one, I want us to be awake and enlivened to the reality that God is weaving history. Uh, sometimes we use the phrase, God's telling a story, uh, which we, we use because that's the way it unfolds. It feels like God's telling a story. The problem with telling a story is that sometimes if we understand it just as being, you know, it's just a story being told, uh, then it's just a story. That's nice. It's a story. God is actually actively weaving history, and he didn't just weave together the history up to the point of the book of Acts or, the, or Philippians or Galatians or wherever you're at. He's actually moving in history right now. And if you're a Christian, he's actually weaving history together for your good and for his glory, and he's actually doing stuff with you, whether you're awake to it or not. You know that God is doing stuff with you when you go to work? God is doing stuff with you when you take your kids to school. God is doing stuff with you when you're walking with your kids. God's doing stuff with you when you're at the park. God is doing stuff with you at the coffee shop. I don't even know that. We're made for a lot more, I think, than we're awake to often. Uh, number two, I want us to see the family that he has called us into. Um, we'll talk about Abraham some, and I hope we see it. But, but more than anything, I want us to see the power of the cross in our lives, the, the the power of what Jesus is doing. Uh, and, and, and I think this is so important, and we always have to come back to this because we have a theological uh, a framework, a uh, disposition that says that, that we're saved by grace because we're uh, you know, evangelical Protestant Christians living in 2016 now, and that's sort of our default mode. Uh, but do you wake up in the morning understanding that the life you've been given is a gift to you and that you cannot earn the love of God, but it is being poured out onto you through Jesus by the power of His Spirit so that you would live to the praise of His glorious name. That every morning you wake up, you woke up this morning to praise Jesus with your life, and that's a gift. And I think we do one of two things. We either ignore that altogether. It's just not even on our radar, right? you got to get up. 
And it's not that you're getting up, you're sleeping, and one of your kids comes and pokes you in the eye, and it's time to make oatmeal, and you get up, and you're going, uh, and everyone has to get dressed, and oh, I ever forgot to get a bath last night, everyone gets a bath, you get up, you go to work, you do your thing, uh, there's stuff going in, there's more work to do tomorrow, you get home, dinner's late, dinner's on the table, you read the bedtime story, everyone gets into bed, you go to bed, they go to bed, you sleep, and you wake up in the morning, someone's poking you in the eye, ready for some oatmeal, and you didn't even think about Jesus at all. And maybe, maybe, maybe you don't have a family, maybe you don't have kids, and, but it's the same thing, right? Something happens and you just hit this cruise mode and you weren't even awake to the reality that about 2,000 years ago, God Himself took on flesh to die for your sins, rose from the dead to give you life, to send you the Spirit to dwell inside of you, and that you belong to God for His glory. I want us to be awake. We're getting poked in the eye, ready to make some oatmeal. And we want to make that oatmeal. It doesn't, uh, by the way, this isn't like a secret for like, here's how to have a zen, peaceful life without kids poking you in the eye, ready for oatmeal. This is the reality that you're making oatmeal to the glory of God. This is the reality that you're, you're going to work for the glory of God. This is being alive and awake to what God is doing, uh, not to, to fix or make your problems, your problems are going to consist. You're going to have problems in this world. Uh, but to be awake to the reality of what God is doing with you in the midst of them. Those are different things. Okay, so here we are in Galatians with too much text to preach uh, because it's all too good. But we're going to start here uh, in the middle of uh, 15 and we'll see how far we can get here. So we're in Galatians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have someone on the table over there. Feel free grab one starting 15 we ourselves are jews by birth and not gentile sinners so he's he's speaking to these people the context of galatians is, is we have this group of people out in asia minor who've come to realize who jesus is the wondrous power of the gospel uh, that jesus saves us from death to life and there's nothing we can do to earn it uh, and then these guys have crept in that we'll call judaizers because that's the fancy word that ff bruce uses to call them they're judaizers uh, meaning they are people who are saying you need jesus but you need this other stuff too. And they have in mind specifically the Torah, the old stuff. You, you need to follow dietary laws and be circumcised and, and to do these works. And now, so, so Paul is going to focus in on this idea of works of the law, but I think anything you can put, you can put anything in that placeholder. Anything you do that you think you do to make yourself right with God. Because they think that they're doing these things. This is what's going to make them right with God. And we as Christians can do this in a lot of different ways. Uh, and if you're not a Christian, we do this in a lot, a lot of ways, right? This is Seattle. We love American karma, which I always give the caveat is different than, than sort of traditional karma in the Buddhist setting. But we just live with that pay it forward kind of karma that doesn't really require much more than I do something nice and something nice is going to happen to me. And if I do more nice things, nice things are going to happen to me all the time with all my life, Right? And that good people do good stuff, and good stuff happens to them, and bad people do bad stuff, and bad stuff happens to them. And every pretty much serious Bon Jovi song contradicts that reality. You know, on the Jersey Shore, there's that rich, selfish guy who keeps getting, or maybe that's Bruce Springsteen, or maybe it's both, right? There's this sense that there's the, you know, the, the, the bad guys keep accruing money and, you know, live long, prosperous lives, uh, and, and it's only the good that die young, right? So Bon Jovi rejects your karma, but only the good die young, right? Uh, but, but really, that's what it is, right? Whether there's a deity attached to that idea or not, there's works involved. You're working good works so the good things will happen to you. Friends, there's a, 
there's a lot of problems with that. I mean, the seventh floor at Children's Hospital is a problem with that. I've become well acquainted with that place. We live in a broken world that has its brokenness, right? Here we go. We ourselves, uh, skip down. Uh, we ourselves are Jews by birth and, and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person, because they're Christians, yet we know that a person is not justified, is not made right with God uh, by works of the law, but through what? Faith in Jesus Christ. Classic, right? Jesus dying on the cross. Nameless man. Of course, later they give him a name and they saint him and things. But he's just a thief. Bleeding and dying next to Jesus, realizing who Jesus is. Remember me when you enter your kingdom. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the greatest word picture of the gospel in the Bible. He doesn't get down. He doesn't live right. He doesn't fix anything. He doesn't do anything. He just dies. Today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, it's not works, but faith. This is what sets Christianity apart against any other system you can cook up. It's not work, it's faith. But check this out. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What? But he was really, really, really nice. And he wasn't sometimes. He still kicked his dog or, you know, flashed a universal sign of disapproval when someone cut him off from time to time. Uh, when, we, when we miss this, we miss that God is holy and his goodness and perfection. He's all perfect, all good, all right, all holy, all big, all huge. And that anything, absolutely anything, uh, compared to that is not. And anything uh, compared to that and His goodness and His holiness and His perfection is not and is out of whack. And in fact, anything we do that's a sin against Him in all His goodness and holiness and perfect, perfection, infinite goodness and perfection, requires an infinite consequence. That's why infinite God had to take on limited flesh and die the death I deserve to pay the infinite price for my infinite sin against an infinite God. God's solution to my sin is not to tell Andrew Pack to try harder. God's solution to you in whatever things you're dealing with you in your life is not that you would try harder. It's not that you would try harder. Whatever your sin is, whatever the, the thing you're wrestling with, whatever the, the trouble you're having, whether it's the, the good things you do for the right reasons or the wrong things that you do, God has an answer for it. Now listen. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? fancy word for this is antinomianism. So do, do you mean to tell me that Jesus dies for the price, to pay the price for my sins so I can just wild out and go buck wild and do whatever? No. No. In fact, if, if your response to the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God is to wild out, go buck wild and do whatever, then you must have missed who Jesus actually is. Keep going. Certainly not! Exclamation point. There's no exclamation points in Greek. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. The law, the Torah, the Old Testament, this thing that we'll see in a second, was there's this promise made to Abraham that Abraham's going to be a blessing to the nations. Uh, and this thing gets overlaid uh, in its time and its place. And it was good in its time and its place to demarcate the people of God. But that time has passed. And the thing that Hebrews tells us again and again and again and again, the law can't fulfill 
The law can't actually deal with our sin. The law serves just as this demarcator and this really stopgap band-aid that God put in place till Jesus came to really show us how much we need Jesus. I have been crucified. Now listen to this. 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, this is, this is one of those verses where you're just trying to get there, right? You're trying to get through all the stuff and all the background to get to this. Paul just said something crazy. When was Paul crucified? He wasn't. He was a Roman citizen. He actually didn't die that way. Even when he did die, he was not crucified. When were you crucified? This applies to you too. Uh, right? Missed that one. Right? Slept through it? Probably not. But the the reality of what Jesus has done in your place for your sins to make you right with God is that God has so counted in Christ you dead to your sins that Paul is willing to say that he was crucified with Christ. The the, the reality of the cross and the place for your misgivings and, and your wrongdoing and everything you've ever done against God or others is so real and so really actually dealt with on the cross of Jesus uh, that, that you can be called dead and alive, by the way. Dead and alive at the same time. Paul's going to use this language in Colossians. We're taking off the old man, putting on the new. We're dealing with this tension as we're being sanctified, as we're being changed, we're being made more and more like Jesus. But at the end of the day, you are a dead person who's been made alive together with God in Christ. And so all of a sudden, my my repentance. It is not me uh, trying to do things to be a better Christian. It is me doing what I'm built to do and to be the person that God's actually built me to be. That I'm chasing after who he's actually made me to be and who you've actually been made to be. This is radical. This, this is different than any uh, religious system. This is not meditate yourself to a place with God. This is you have a place with God. Therefore, let us actually behave in that reality that we've already been given. It's wild. This is wild stuff. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So, we have to be careful. There's what one of my teachers once called Puritan worm theology, which says you can never do anything right ever, you'll never make God happy, and, and you're just a sinner, and you're always a sinner, and you can't do anything that pleases the Lord. That's not true. I have the Bible to tell me otherwise. We actually can live a life pleasing to the Lord. We can actually live a life pleasing to God. But we don't live that life pleasing to God so He will love us. We don't live that life pleasing to God so He will give us stuff. Uh, We don't live that life pleasing to God uh, uh, for ourselves. We live it for Him. Uh, Listen. For if righteous through the law, if you could do something, if you could do something to earn your salvation, 
That's the difference here between pleasing God and earning your salvation. If you could do something to make God love you, then Jesus didn't need to come. If you could do something to atone yourself for your own sin, then Jesus didn't need to come. And in fact, we don't really need to be here unless I have some reason to tell you that this is how you do that thing that he's saying that you could have done. Right? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? <clears throat> it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. They understand what has happened, what he's done. Two, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? It's a simple question. It's a rhetorical question. But it's one we have to keep in the forefront of our lives as Christians. Did you become a Christian because you are smart? Did you become a Christian because you looked at all the options and you said, you know what, Christianity is really the golden ticket choice. Jesus seems to be the logical conclusion of all of these things. It is reasonable to be a Christian. Uh, uh, you, you, you've done these things. You've made the actions. Or, or is it this? That God was gracious and revealed himself to you through the face of Jesus Christ and you believe. Maybe it's your resume, right? God picked you because you're awesome. God, God picked you because you're good at pool, pinball, or making salted caramel ice cream. I don't know what that thing is that makes you the bee's knees, but if there is something that makes you the bee's knees, that makes God pick you because he needs you on his team, then it's not really a gift anymore, is it? You made it through the interview. You got the job. Welcome to Team Jesus. That is not what happened. Through faith. You believe Jesus. You believe that he is who he said he was. Now here's our problem. And here's what Paul's going to get after here. Listen. Having begun by the Spirit, that was a spiritual reality. That was a spiritual thing that happened. God graced you. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Here's what we love to do. Love to do. As sort of Americans. Maybe this, is, maybe this is indicative to being sort of evangelical, Bible-believing Americans. But we love to preach the gospel, and we love to preach grace. And then we act differently after that. So, so we preach a gospel, and we preach a grace that says, you become a Christian now. There's nothing you can do to earn his love. There's nothing you can do to make him happy. Turn from your sin and turn to him. Repent and believe and accept the wonderful gift of God uh, in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Be forgiven for your sins and live. That's true. Everything I just said was true. We believe all of that. Just, be, just, just to be abundantly clear. And then we say, now, if you want to be a real Christian, make sure you don't just read the Bible, but you read it on that year Bible reading plan. Or, or maybe better, you need a three-month plan. You need to read the whole Bible in three months. You read the Bible every three months for the rest of your life. Ten, ten chapters a day. That's what real Christians do. That's what the real believers do. Or sometimes in churches, we, we kind of create this sort of like odd corporate ladder, right? There's the varsity Christians, the elders, the, the pastors the seminarians, the preachers. Uh, be one of those and you'll be a real Christian. 
And all of a sudden, the, the guy, or, or go be a missionary. Go far, far away. The more dangerous, the better. He's the radical. He's the radical Christian. He's the one living for Jesus. And you, mom, who get up when the kid's poking you in the eye with the oatmeal, who can't go off to some super dangerous country, you don't get to live as a radical Christian for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't get to live that life that's really, really committed, that varsity Christian life. See, there's a problem here. We preach salvation by one way and sanctification by another. Right? You need to know in and out, day in, day out, you're going to work to earn a living to take care of your family. You're getting up to take care of your kids, to school them or take them to school or whatever it might be. You dad and mom, you single person who gets in and goes to work and maybe doesn't get to go on the foreign mission field, whatever that might be, you can live as radically passionate gospel life as anybody else because sometimes things happen in life where you're just contained, right? My kid keeps being contained on the seventh floor with no immune system, stuck. I'll brag on my wife for a minute, and she holds him, and she takes care of him, and she can't even read her phone, because when he's sleeping in her arms, he wakes up from the muscle moving right here. She doesn't get to do anything. She just sits there and is a loved child of God. Maybe, maybe you're just going to get up and go to work until you retire, or never retire. And you can live just as radically, passionately for Jesus. And we love the foreign mission field. Hey, don't get me wrong. If God is calling you to get lit up, to go and to take this truth to somewhere very, very dangerous, hey, we will get behind you. We've been given a job to do to take this gospel to the ends of the earth. Don't get me wrong. It's not one versus the other. It's the reality that you and I, whatever God has for you and whatever God has for me is to be done in a particular way and that's crucified to my sin, filled with the Spirit and living to His glory. And the biggest, greatest thing we can do is honor God with everything we do in response to His gospel, wherever He's got us. Listen. You suffer so many things in vain. He's talking about trying to earn your salvation. If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. How do you get to be a son of Abraham, how do you get to be in the family of God? By believing in Jesus. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Oh man. 
This is where I have to wrestle with my flesh. There's a whole other awesome paragraph, but it's a family-style service, so I think we'll stop there. Three things we need to see from this text, as I said. Three things. God is weaving history together for his purposes, to show grace to people. He's weaved history together uh, through Abraham, through Jesus, and whatever brought you here, whatever got you here, whoever shared the gospel and got you here, God has weaved this together to call you to himself. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, he's brought you here to hear this good news. That weaving of history was not an accident. Jesus is in the process of restoring all things, and you are not on the sidelines of that process. You have been called to live right in the middle of it. He's using us for that. He used Abraham for that. And you're part of this thing he's weaving. And this family, this Abrahamic family, that you've been called into is is this. You know what John, as we saw in John 1, called sons and daughters of God, that we're we're given the right to be in the family of God, to be in the family of Abraham at this point in time is synonymous with being in God's family, to be part of what God is doing, that we're not just uh, people who are, are sort of on the sidelines, but we're, we're, we're sons and daughters of God most high. And this is the power of the cross to do those things, to, to invite us in, to pay the price for our sins, to make us right with God, and to send us the spirit that we're now living by the power of God. This really gives us four options in this text. We can have a life of works with no Jesus. Okay? You can do things to earn God's love apart from Christ. Now, that is the functional reality of everybody who doesn't know Jesus, but man, let us not live like, like pagans and just do work and hope God will love us and forget what Jesus has done for us. I think for us, we need to be more dangerous. And that's sort of uh, the baptized works, if you will. Works plus Jesus. Okay, cool. You got saved. Well, here's the book you need to start reading, the class you need to get into, the the things you must do to be a real Christian now that you've gotten saved. And if you're a real Christian, you'll do these things. You'll kind of get involved in our corporate ladder and you'll work your way up our leadership structure. Now, the Bible does say that it's a godly thing to desire the office of overseer. Elder. It's a good thing to want to serve the people. We understand as a role of service. It's a good thing to read your Bible. It's a good thing to pray to God. It's a good thing to read nerdy, nerdy, nerdy theology. It's a really good thing, in fact. But when we understand that as our freedom in Christ and our response to Him. The other thing, and this is what Paul's warned us against, is sort of no works, but just Jesus. Oh, I don't need any works at all. I've got Jesus. Jesus is my fire insurance, and my life doesn't need to be lived in response to the gospel. I just have Jesus, and you know, at some point in time, I'll live my life, and I'll run my life out, and I'll get to go to be with him, and, and heaven will be me golfing for, for eternity, which doesn't sound like heaven to me, but that's what I've heard some people refer to it as, so I use it. Nor to skiing. Who wants to ski for eternity? It's cold, it's wet, you're on a mountain. But you hear people conceive of heaven. Mountains. My grandma thought it would be soap operas. That's ridiculous, right? The face of Jesus Christ. Rather, the fourth option is I think what Paul is after. It's this life lived in the Spirit by God's grace. Not earning our, the love of God in any way because we are so loved by God, but responding to the love of God with everything we've got empowered by Him to do so. 
And so all of a sudden, everything we do is lived under that banner. All of a sudden, worship isn't me coming here so that I can get the gold star on my attendance chart, but me coming filled with the Spirit to worship Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, to sing the name of Jesus because Jesus is so lovely and wonderful and awesome. And all of a sudden, I want to get in my Bible. I want to get up and get into Genesis here in January. Um, not so that God will love me or that I could be a real Christian or I could someday be a real mature Christian, but so that I can know God with everything I've got. And all of a sudden, discipleship isn't about me being like, oh, I'm one of those guys that gets up early and disciples people. It's me being someone who's been helped by the Lord and helped by others to help other people follow Jesus uh, in response to what He's done to me in service. And all of a sudden, church becomes this thing where we are together responding to the reality of a crucified Savior who rose from the dead to make us a family, to make us a people. And mission and evangelism and missions and yet dangerous missions, life on the line missions is done not so that we can say, I'm a missionary to this place and it is dangerous, therefore I'm a real Christian. But because we've seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and there's nothing else we can do. You see this. That's the difference between missionaries who make it 20 years and who don't. There's some who say, look what God has done for me. What else could I do with the rest of my life? Of course I'm going to go. Of course I'm going to lay everything on the line. Of course that's what I'll do. And there are those who are trying to earn it. And the ones who are trying to earn it, burn out. Don't make it. But so do the people getting up and going to work every day if it's not for Jesus. You'll forget it. You'll forget him. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus, we so quickly default to works. Jesus, we so quickly default to doing things to earn your love. Jesus, we so quickly default to just forgetting what you've done. We, we default so quickly to, to, to all these other things, and, and I just want us to live. I want to live knowing that your hand is on my Life, your hand is on our church, your hand is on our lives, knowing what you've done and being enlivened to that reality in such a way that we just can't do life differently. We just can't do friendship and marriage differently. We just can't do work differently and parenting differently and singleness. We have to. We can't help it because we know we're living in the Spirit and we know we're living by your power and we know we're living for your glory and we know that we're living because this is the place you've called us to be and the time you've called us to be and the place you've you've called us to be, and that that you love us more than we can imagine. That you became a curse so that we who are cursed could be called sons and daughters. That, That you died in our place for our sin, but you didn't just die in the place for our sin. You died to give us life. And so help us in the mundane and in the normal and in the extraordinary and in the good times and the bad times and the highs and the lows to live that out with a passion for you and a love for each other that marks us out as your people. Jesus, we love you and pray these things for your glory and for our joy in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.